now you're not when the prices do come down and you've got a lot of people that have been waiting on the sidelines for a long time right there will be competition there yeah and you also have Couple other things exasperating this problem, like for example, home builders now have essentially pulled back. Uh, a couple yep. banks on our market. I don't think we had talked about this yet, but they've completely shut down their construction lending groups. Wow. And I think that's prudent on some level, uh, if depending on your clientele base and what kind of lending you were doing. But so yeah, now you're going to see supply. So now supply and demand. Supply hasn't really crept up. Demand has just fallen below supply now. Yeah. And and you're starting to see that as a 3.2 months is going to wind up being closer to four to six months for a balanced market. So yeah, there is going to be a, a springing back of demand back in the market, which is going to fall on again short supply. Right. Do I think you're going to see what you saw during the last couple of years? No, because that was propped up by super, super low interest rates. Right. So I do think you're going to see a much more competitive market. Mm-hmm. Hello, friends, and welcome to the Higher Standard Podcast, where we give you ultra-premium, unfiltered truth when it comes to building your wealth and curating the lifestyle of your dreams. No games, no drama, and no shenanigans. I am your host, Chris Nahibi, and I'm here to help you distill the immense amount of information and disinformation out there on the interwebs and give you the opportunity to choose a higher standard for yourself. There are no gurus here, and no one gives a damn about how wealthy you look. I'm an attorney and a banker, amongst other things. Does that mean you should listen to me? Hell no. This is just full disclosure that while we talk about money, wealth, law, investing, and a lot of related topics, you should always speak to your own advisors for an opinion tailored to your unique investment perspective. I am obligated to tell you that nothing contained in this show is in fact legal or investment advice and is being provided solely for entertainment purposes. So sit back, Relax your mind and get ready for a different kind of podcast where we elevate your baseline in crispy, high-resolution audio. This isn't a different standard. It's the higher standard. It is once again the higher standard, and I am overjoyed to introduce myself. I am Chris Nahibi. I am one of two hosts. (laughs) And that laughing guy over there, that's Saeed Omar. Say hi. Hi, everybody. If you like this show, please go ahead and subscribe and leave an honest five-star review. And we are Wild Stallions. No, wrong show. Yeah. Oh, wrong show. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So I figured out a really quick, easy way for all of us to make $129,000 a year. And all it takes is 45 days and you're guaranteed. 44 days. Sign me up, though. Whatever it is. 44 days. Whatever it is. Basically, a month and a half and you can have a guaranteed $129,000 a year for the rest of your life. You ain't got to do anything else. Or 129,000 pounds. Is it in pounds? Yeah. I feel like whatever it is. I think it's 119,000 pounds or some shit. Whatever. I think it's okay. It's it's a good amount of money. Saeed's just fucking up my flow. I apologize, everybody, in advance. Saeed is definitely on one tonight. (laughs) But this is the ex-prime minister, Liz Truss. She was in the role after Boris resigned, right? So, So gave everyone a quick little backstory. Uh, in the UK, they have the economic disaster that we've been talking about. A little bit of a problem. Their currency is uh, going through a little bit of a problem. Yeah, a, a big problem, right? So on July 7th, Boris Johnson resigned as prime minister at a time when inflation was high 10%. Very mm-hmm. similar to what's going on over here. High inflation, economic crisis. And then Liz Truss stepped in. She stepped in, worked for 44 days. 44 long days. Don't, don't take your credit away. <laughs> yeah. Well, she, she proposed some crazy-ass tax cuts. And people were like, no, next. Yeah, yeah. Not going to be able to do it. And then she said, okay, fine. I bow out. And what does that mean? It means she gets a salary of $129,000 a year every year for the rest of her life. Oh, my God. 
So all we got to do, everybody, is move to London, <laughs> but find a way to become prime minister and quit as soon as you sign the employment agreement. ASAP. ASAP. And you have $129,000 a year. Congratulations. I know. This is ar- arguably one of the best podcasts. For, I mean, what, who else is going to give you an income opportunity like this? Right? Unbelievable. Well, while we're not making fun of Liz Truss in, in London and in England, mm-hmm. why don't we talk about some things back home that uh, Mr. Noriel Rubini says cannot be fixed? I can't say his name. His nickname, Dr. Doom, predicts a financial crisis that's worse than the 1970s. I originally saw this in an Instagram post, but this is a, an article from Bloomberg, and it, uh, it, it was pretty eye-opening. Pretty eye-opening. So he's also a professor at NYU, uh, it's the Stern School of Business, and he's famous for being one of the lead people uh, predicting the financial crisis in 2007 and 2008. So my man, Dr. Doom, is the author of a new book called Mega Threats, The 10 Dangerous Trends That Imperil Our Future and How to Survive Them, which, by the way, as a, as a book name, yeah. a little fucking lengthy, bro. Yeah. <laughs> why not? Why not? <laughs> yeah. Mega Threats. That, uh, it makes me scared. I don't, I'm not trying to buy that. It's, it's a little scary. It's like he's leaning into the Dr. Doom thing. Dr. Doom and his Mega Threats. <laughs> I mean, it's just, <laughs> it's, but, you know, never mind all that. He's actually a really good economist. He believes that due to a rolling series of supply shocks, some of which are still unfolding, mm-hmm. will have a severe downturn before we get relief from inflation. Unlike the 1970s, he says, high levels of private sector debt will make it harder to fight higher prices and that central banks will reverse course as things start to break in the financial markets. Right. And that's something that we talked about last time, right, is the only way the central banks reverse course was one of three things. It's if unemployment gets out of hand, if they actually see inflation going down in the right direction or a break in the financial markets, which he's predicting will happen. God damn, you sound so economist right now. Yeah, so give me the Nobel. Give, give him the Nobel, everybody. So uh, those of you who listen to the show, <laughs> I have been going on a bit of, I would say, not, not a campaign, <laughs> but certainly a full-fledged frontal attack on possibly getting a Nobel for sight. Right. Come on. I, I think you deserve it, bro. I mean, I, I, the people want it. If Elon Musk, <laughs> okay, and Jeff Bezos can now say that a recession is likely in unfolding and it's going to be really, really bad. Right. And Said Omar has been saying this since November 2021. This is so disrespectful to, anyone, to anyone that's ever won the this award. This is not disrespectful. <laughs> Bro, the, the Bernanke just got a Nobel. It's like, it's like me hitting two three-pointers at an open gym and being like, yo, give me that MVP award, bro. I need that. Hey, man, if you hit two three-pointers <laughs> at an open gym on LeBron, that goes down on history. <laughs> yeah, that's okay? true. That's so, true. Yeah. He's the two of the world's wealthiest men, and you got out way in front of them. <laughs> yeah, should, exactly. I'm going to pat you on the back all day long. Nobel Prize winner, Said Omar, everybody. Yeah. Woo! <laughs> but uh, so, yeah, so he's basically saying that there, there are some some significant concerns. And I think that a lot of these concerns we've talked about on the show all coalesce in his arguments. You had the 10 things written down. Right? I had the 10 things. But um, to talk about those supply shocks that he initially was talking about in that quote was the three negative supply shocks that he's referencing are the COVID shock that led to the shutdown of the of all economic activity. So let's pause right there. So there was some supply chain issues there, not to mention at the same time, the Fed monetary policy flooded the markets with money, which further exasperated the supply issues because everybody was capable of buying. Right. Exactly. Number two, uh, the Russian invasion of Ukraine which caused a spike in energy prices. And let's pause on that one. Mm-hmm. So I think people underestimate the impacts of the worldwide economy of the Ukraine. 
how much of our dollars are going there as, as a member of NATO and the money that we're sending out. I'm not saying that it's not warranted and we shouldn't be doing these things, but right. again, saying that we are spending the money. We talked about this in a previous episode, but billions yeah. of dollars have gone out. And that's that's really tough on the American inflation. Mm-hmm. That also caused increased prices of food, fertilizers, the whole trickle down effect of all that, right? Mm-hmm. And then number three is the continuation of zero tolerance COVID policy in China. Yeah, that one. So when I read that, I thought, wait a minute, is that really as impactful? And then I started thinking more about just China's China's markets in general are struggling. All I mean, their their economy is almost as bad as ours. Right. I you know totally off topic, kind of left. Do you see that thing today with the president? But no. So he's running for he's running for and winning his third term. He, of course, he's going to win. Who's right? going who's gonna to come out and vote against him? Well, he had his predecessor there, and apparently, like nobody's ever gone three. Like two right. is usually where everybody cuts off. Yeah. So his predecessor was there, and his predecessor leans over to him says something to him, and then he has his predecessor, the guy who, you know, he effectively took over for right. two terms ago, yeah. has him escorted out. And it's really weird. It's like on national television, this big coronation-like event. And he leaned into him and was like, you're a bitch. I don't know what he said, <laughs> but, he, you know, he said some fucked up shit. Whatever he said to him, or it was like a power play, like, let me show you who's the boss now, punk. Yeah, yeah, Let yeah. the world watch you be walked out, homie. He, oh, yeah. Where he's like, hey, when I was in office, this shit didn't happen. Yeah, three times. Yeah. Yeah, you know, whatever. But so, nonetheless. You got escorted out. But yeah, China, China's a weird thing, man. We used to think about them as, as like a, a super economy. And I think they're having their own issues. Mm-hmm. Well, and we also know that COVID is still rampant there in a lot of ways. Right. Exactly. So the 10 mega threats that uh, Mr. What, how you pronounce his name? Noriel Rubini. Dr. Uh, Doom, bro. Yeah, Dr. Doom. So they hear the 10. The mother of all debt crisis that we're currently going through. Yeah. Right. Uh, number two, the bailout trap. I don't know what he's referencing there. Trap but, music. Yeah, the trap music. You talk about trap music. The demographic time bomb. The ease money trap, uh, leading to cycles of booms. Yo, and hold on, can we? Can we? He is totally embracing this Doctor Doom shit. Oh like, all yeah, these titles bro. Are... Somebody helped him out. He's yeah. got. He's got ghostwriters. Yeah, these are catchy as shit. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he goes into AI and job destruction. So that's I, I heard a, that's a real thing. I heard Chippy's coming like, for your job, dog. Yeah, exactly. So I mean, yeah. Creating the AI and the robotics for some of these for some of these workers will create more jobs for people to make the products, right? Chippy coming for your job. Yeah, Chippy and the wingman. <laughs> the yeah, wingman. The wingman. <laughs> I want the wingman at the house, bro. Apparently the wingman takes food out the freezer too. What? Yeah, it takes food out the freezer and like heats it up and, and serves it on the plate. Damn. <laughs> the wingman, the wifey. Yeah. <laughs> I love you, honey. I'm just kidding. I'm not touching that. I'm not touching that. Yeah. yeah. So nonetheless. All right. Well, look. Yeah. So let, let's talk about some of those things before we move on to the rest of the 6,000 things that Dr. Doom's going to make anecdotally similar to his name. The, the debt issues we're facing now is all part of what we referred to a thousand and one times as the affordability crisis. Right. People had a lot of money in their pocket, a lot of liquidity. Uh-huh. And if you want a frontline kind of vision into what this looks like and how this will impact the consumer. Right. Look at the banking sector. What's happening now is liquidity is being drawn out of the markets, mm-hmm. which means deposits that banks are holding are drying up. Yep. Banks fund loans off of deposits that they have. They have a loan to deposit ratio that they have to adhere to. Exactly. And you have to have certain capital requirements and all sorts of fun other stuff. And all these numbers are getting stressed. These are the things that the, the Fed increasing the, their Fed funds rate really impacts the most. And what happens is that as rates rise, banks can't make loans fast enough at the new interest rates. So right. If you look at, except for the last Fed interest rate increase, which has actually had a two month or a two two meeting gap about twelve weeks versus six weeks, right? Most Fed meetings are every six weeks. Yep. 
if you have a loan in a pipeline, a typical multifamily commercial real estate loan, even a CNI loan, you're looking at 60, 90 days. Yeah is the life cycle from origination to funding that and getting it on your balance sheet, not to mention another 30 before you get your bill. Yeah, exactly. So they're going to start earning income. Well, banks make money on something called the net interest margin. Basically, the difference between what they're charging on loans and interest rate and what they're paying out on deposits. Yep. But in this market, you got to pay out a lot on deposits to get those to come in because everybody's being super competitive right now. Right. And you can't get those loans on the books fast enough to match the new interest rates as rates continue to rise because the Fed increases their borrowing rate Treasuries move up, and then your your mortgage rates move up. Yeah, I saw somebody somebody had a billboard at one bank that had a billboard the other day at four percent for CDs, four and a half percent. Yeah, I've seen it. It's, I synced it. I synced it. Yeah, it's um, uh, it's it's like the wild wild west right now. And I think if you want to look for your first cracks in the system, it's going to wind up being the banking system because the banks are just stressed all over the country, right? Because this is they're the first line where they're going to get impacted by this. But back to the main point, because I I stay on topic. Yes, sometimes, sometimes. This is a great kind of analogy to the consumer spending. Mm -hmm. Consumers are used to spending, but they're not going to slow down their spending. Their liquidity is going to dry up. And their interest rates on things like credit cards and home equity lines of credit, they're going up too. Yep. So they're going to wind up in a situation where this debt's just going to slam into them like a wall. Man. And it's, it's, getting, it's getting bad. And it, it's getting, it, we'll talk about some things later on in the show at site, and I have Peg to talk about a little bit farther down the road. But... You'll see how this is going to be a reoccurring theme where the spending has not stopped. Consumer discretionary spending has not stopped. Mm -hmm. We saw with inflation numbers that airlines were up over 40%. Yep. And they were like the largest inflation category. So clearly people are still spending the money to pay for these things because oh, they right. can charge for it. Yep, exactly. So keep, keep going on those other things. So some of the other things was he's referenced like the new Cold War. I think he was, what he was referencing is, you know, there's a lot of people in power, different regimes that, you know, we don't know what could happen, Right. You reference, you know, the president over in China. There's obviously Putin. Like, I mean, World War Three isn't that unlikely, right? That's what he's. That's what he's referencing. Um, I, I mean, Doctor Doom. I think he's taking a little bit of advantage there. By the way, can we also? He's trying to get the ten. Like he wants. To, he yeah, wants. He like, wants like, like ten he's, commandments. He's like, dog. We need something really dark. Um, <laughs> and then can, the last can we, one. You know, can we acknowledge one thing? Uh, Putin is not a scary name. Putin is not a scary Putin. name. Yeah, he's a scary ass dude. He's a scary ass dude. But his name, in and of itself, yeah. Like if I was like, yo, like Stalin. Yo, here's my friend. Yeah, Stalin's scary. Yeah. Yo, Hitler's scary name. Yeah. Putin, not a scary name. Yeah. Like, you would be like, oh, this is my friend Putin. Okay, but I think like, people refer to him as, yo, this is, my, this is my friend Vladimir. Vlad. Yeah, Vladimir. Yeah, Vladimir. Vlad, that, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Vlad, right. Vlad, right. Vlad. And then the last one that he references is, uh, so I, I don't know where you fall on the fence with this, if you believe in climate change or not, but he's like, with climate change continuing to go on, more pandemics are on, will be coming. And with more pandemics, cause more diseases. And clearly, we did not handle this one correctly. So, Whew, I got a lot to say on this topic, and I don't want to alienate our five listeners. Our five listeners, Although, shout out, throwback. So, somebody did tell me we had like 18 listeners now, and I'm like, really? Yeah. And he's like, I counted your reviews, dog. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, come on, man. So, maybe, maybe that's true. But uh, so I had Benji back on the show. You should go back and check out that episode. It's one of the historic ones. It, it was. It was P.S. Pre-Saeed. Oh, yeah, exactly. Uh, but that being said, it was an interesting thing that you can see that there's clearly a shift in what we call global warming and now climate change. Yes. The, the, the language around it has definitely changed. Right. There's been a lot of people, and I'm not going to say where I fall on the spectrum because I want to keep some of you listeners still listening to the show for right. next time we air a show. But right. there, there has been some sentiment that if you take a more expanded look at the time period uh, of history, that there are and there have been pretty significant swings in climate over the years. Yes. 
So there's there's a lot. I mean, obviously the dinosaurs and everything else, but after that, right, there are plenty of deserts that used to be lakes and oceans, right. You know, there are plenty of of really really arid places that that weren't that way before, and there's lots there to kind of back that up. I'm no expert. What what I will say is, pandemics are a part of American worldwide history. Exactly. So, and I think, I think all he's referencing is with the change in the climate, right? More diseases, viral diseases will arise and whether we're prepared for them or not, that's a whole nother topic of a conversation. Hmm. I don't think you can ever really truly be prepared. Right. You know, and I mean, they call it a pandemic for a reason. Yeah. So, I, you know, he's probably got some truth there. I think given the fact that we just went through one, I would hope we wouldn't see another one, you know, during our lifetimes, but I hope not. You never know. Right. What I will say is this man has called a lot of pretty significant economic events in history. And despite the comedy that is his nickname of Dr. Doom, he, he is somebody who should be taken seriously. I, I have always looked at what we're going through as is more of a Volcker Volcker area eighties mm-hmm. era kind of time time yeah. situation, but I can see how he makes references to the seventies and and the level of private debt in the sectors. Mm-hmm. I, I still think there's a big question mark as to what what really is going to be the trigger. If it's affordability, like you and I were talking before the show, if, if it's affordability, I'm scared, right? Because if it's an affordability crisis, that's going to be a long, slow, painful burn. We talked about this before in the show. I think it is an affordability crisis, though. It's just, but I don't think that that crisis will be solved. So then, so then, exactly. So if it's not, if there's nothing, something doesn't break. Yeah. I'm stuttering a whole shit ton of night. Yeah. I apologize. You're excited. I mean, I am excited. Yeah. I haven't seen you. We had, a, we had an extra day gap in yeah, between I the know, shows. I know. We were both, we were fiending. And I, like, I, I missed the show. Yeah, me like, too. I missed you. Yeah, I missed you too. Just don't tell anybody I said that. <laughs> but. Yeah, like it, it's just one of those things where if, if we don't have a, a breaking point and it's just an affordability issue and people are bled out over time, yeah, that's a really shitty recessionary economy. Yeah, uh, that's uh, that sucks. Right. Yeah. So I mean, at, who knows where it goes? I don't. I don't know what we're gonna see. But let's move on to to more exciting, optimistic news. All right. According to Yahoo Money, housing existing home sales dropped for the eighth straight month in September. Mm. And you know how much I love to support people who said that home values would never go down. They're not going to go down. They're, they're, yeah. they're going to continue to rise. Right. But uh, year over year sales are down 23.8% as inventory has crept up to a 3.2 month period. A balanced market, for those of you who do not recall, is a four to six month period. So we are tiptoeing right on the edge of what's considered a normalized balanced market, even with right. the national supply shortage. But here's what's still scary about all this. So still, I read the article as well, 70% of the homes sold in September were on the market for less than a month. Yeah. That's still yeah. a scary number. It's still a scary number. But if you look at our rates now, yeah, I think the last month or so has seen a big, I think once you cross that six and a half, seven percent 7% marker that we've been, we've crossed, yeah. I think now people are going like shit. Yeah. October, November numbers will be very telling. But because so, keep in mind, people, people's mortgages that close, they had, they were locked like 30, 60 days out. So they probably had closer to five, maybe it's maybe a little six percent rates. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the people that are starting to close in the next couple of months, those, those are gonna be seven, eight handles. Man. Exactly. So and also first time buyers accounted for twenty-nine percent of all transactions. That's similar to August. August was similar, and also similar to September of twenty twenty one. This was in the article? This is in the article. I just look at pictures. <laughs> I don't read this shit. Yeah, I don't I don't read this stuff. <laughs> Speaking of not reading, the waning demand is showing up in prices. With the median price falling north, uh, falling month over month for the third time in a row, the median selling price rose eight point four percent from a year earlier to three hundred eighty four eight hundred, three hundred eighty four thousand eight hundred, 
making 127 consecutive months of annual increases, the longest streak on record. God damn. So when we say that 32-ish percent of CPI is rent and housing and rent equivalent right. of housing, right. and we see that the 127 consecutive months of annual increases are still a thing, mm-hmm. and you accuse the Fed of not using data to make their decisions. Right. What data? What, 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 what data is telling them, like, you know, that they can't look at this data and go, you know what? Hey, all these interest rate increases, it's having an impact, man. Yeah, like, it's working, man. Yeah, it's working. Yeah. Values haven't come down yet. It's still rising. Right. It's still rising. And it's, they're not seeing enough. But in some places, prices are starting to come down, though. Look at that. That was fire. Yeah. You're welcome. Man. You, you are so good. Uchi bang bang. Uchi bang bang. Throw yeah, back. right. Fortune article titled Housing Stunning Downfall in One Chart. If you haven't seen my social media, I posted this. It was a great one, but we want to talk about it on the podcast and get down into the nitty-gritty details. Prices have plunged in 51 of these 60 cities, and there's much further to fall, which does echo a lot of the commentary you saw from Dr. Doom. Right. Dr. Doom. <laughs> Dr. Doom. Yeah. Hardest hit is the nation's western tier. We've talked about this on prior shows. The West Coast seems to be the the kind of the canary in the coal mine. I think you're going to see this expand east across the United States and certainly in some of the major markets. But definitely the West Coast is more impacted. The cities that have already ranked as the nation's most expensive markets before the post-COVID boom rendered them far pricier and especially vulnerable to rising mortgage rates. Yeah, of those 15 cities, six of them were in California. I know, man. I read, I read this list and I was like, damn it. Damn, why, damn it. Why, why do I live there? Damn it. <laughs> it, was, it was bad. So let's just cover the top few here. This, we're going to go in order of the percentage loss in largest metro area home prices. Okay. San Jose, number one, negative 10.7% down. Mm. San Francisco, negative 8.5% down. Right. I don't want to say negative and down. Negative. 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 I just like to, I like emphasizing the negative. Yeah, yeah, I should do. I should do it in Dave Ramsey voice. No, no, no. Seattle, Washington. <laughs> negative eight point two. Yeah, exactly. Denver, Colorado. Yeah. Negative five point eight percent down. Right. Home values will not go down. Yeah, I told you to buy. I've been a broker for forty four thousand years. <laughs> they will not go down. I'm telling. These are the numbers. <laughs> Never gets old. San Diego, California, negative 5.2%. Damn, San Diego. I mean, some of these cities, you, you can expect it, right? I know Vegas, Phoenix, San Francisco. Wow, you just totally pimp slapped my entire list. Well, I can't even go over those topics now. <laughs> Damn. But how did, honestly, though, how did Riverside make it? Riverside's only negative 2.9%. But it's on, it's on the top 15. Yeah, but they're only negative 2.9%. That's crazy. How did they make the list? Keep in mind, R- Riverside. How is like Florida not in here? Bro, Florida's booming, man. There's That's so much demand why? there. I it's don't crazy. understand. Go to Florida. There's a shit ton of construction there. They just have mass, mass, Listen, people from Florida, don't come after me. I want you guys to, I want everyone to keep their, you know, everything. But like, damn, how are you not on the list? God damn. <laughs> don't you know they have swamps there? Shit. <laughs> I mean, but no. I, mean, I like Florida. It's great. But there's a ton of construction going on there. There's a lot of people. That there's a ton of demand, and frankly, there's some really affordable areas in Florida too. They saw a lot of price booms like during the pandemic. I'm telling you, it's going to start creeping out to the East Coast. It just hasn't gotten there as fast. I think. I think it's good. I think people in Texas that I've talked to recently, and they didn't make the list here at all, which is also somewhat shocking. I think the, a lot of those states were also tax shelters. Uh-huh. Tennessee, 
Texas, Florida, yeah. you know, and, and they're going to wind up being impacted at some point, but I think it's going to happen after this. And keep in mind, California has got some serious, significant tax issues. So yeah, they're, they're on the highest cost state. Mm-hmm. They're one of the biggest economies in the world in and of themselves. Right. Not to mention, you know, just in, in the country. So I look at this stuff and it makes total sense that California is a bit of a front runner, but it's, it's the ones that weren't California that, that kind of shocked me, like Seattle, Washington on the list, Denver, Colorado, Portland, Oregon. Uh, Phoenix, Arizona, Colorado Springs, Colorado, and Colorado doesn't surprise me either because uh, you know I've been there recently and I think that there's a tremendous amount of, of demand that's been propped up there. So right. It, it's an interesting time, man. It, it's, it's super interesting, and I would have got on the whole list, but Saeed totally jacked my uh, my topic. <laughs> so let, let's just go on to the next article, shall we, Chief? Let's go. Another really rosy and positive title that I was super excited to share because I wanted everybody to feel the positivity that we have. You know, we we. we sh- we talked so much about negative. It was nice to talk about something positive. Mortgage bankers forecast rates to drop to 5.4% in 2023. So, yeah, all that positivity is about to go right out the window. <laughs> Listen, it's still a positive title, bro. Even if I think it's completely dog shit. Yeah. It's still yeah. a positive title. I want title. you to take that positivity. I want you to roll the window down and throw it right out the window because that's <laughs> a bunch of horseshit. <laughs> it is a bunch of horseshit, but let's let, let's still play like we actually like, care. Oh, yeah. According to the June data from the Federal Housing Finance Agency, which yeah. I, didn't, I don't even know what that is. Yeah, yeah. And, and I'm kind of in the business. Never heard of it. Yeah. yeah. Sounds like, official, though. Yeah, it does sound official, official. as shit, doesn't it? Nearly a quarter of homeowners have mortgage rates of less than or equal to 3%. In the vast majority of owners, 93% have rates less than 6%. No shit, dude. So I, w- I will point out the only valuable quote from the article was that, which does not talk about what the article talks about. Yeah. See, so mortgage bankers, the people that are incentivized by these loans are predicting that rates are going to drop to 5.4%. Okay. So this is going to be a bit of a diatribe. Yeah. And I apologize in advance for me getting all up in your feelings. Okay. <laughs> I apologize. I'm going to be an asshole and I'm sorry that I'm not sorry about it. Yeah. Real estate agents typically and the Association of Realtors believe that the solution to the affordability crisis is for rates to go down, not home values, because they get paid commissions on that. And mortgage bankers, I love them. Lots of mortgage bankers in my family. Lots of mortgage bankers I know. I'm in the business. Their solution is we get paid on the higher loan amounts. Higher loan amounts come from higher property values. Right. So rates have to go down. That's the only solution here. Mm-hmm. So no. And I promised Saeed that I wanted to talk about this from the opposite perspective that we talked about with interest rates increasing right now. And Saeed doesn't know this is coming. Uh-oh. So let's talk about this and how the economy shifts the other way. Okay. So while you're driving your car, I don't want you to close your eyes. But if you listen to this podcast and you're working out, take a minute. Just close your eyes. Imagine. Yeah. We're coming outside the recession. Yeah. Forget Life about is that good. Mind, forget about that mind-muscle connection just for a brief moment. Yeah. Let, let the weight go. Not yeah. on your chest or, yeah, yeah. you know, not crushing your soul. But, you know, <laughs> let it go. Yeah. Let it float off you as your concerns just float away into the, you know, into the sky. <laughs> because the recession is over. Yeah. Everything is good. Rates are starting to get cut by the Fed. And you're like, yes, yes, rates are getting cut, man. Finally. And you think, like every realtor who's saying, hey, hey, hey rates aren't gonna, rates aren't gonna go up anymore, and they go up super fast. You think rates are gonna come down as fast as they went up? No. Yeah, absolutely not. They're not. And let me explain why. Banks, we talked about in the early part of the show, protect their net interest margin. And right now, they're really struggling to keep the loan rates as high as they can and get them through our system to offset the higher cost of deposits. Yep. But that net interest margin is profitability for the banking sector. 
right. for lenders all across the country, even if they're non-banks, mm-hmm. right? You, you got a cost of borrowing funds that you use to lend out. Maybe it's not deposits in the form of consumer deposits. Maybe you got a line of credit with somebody. Whatever your interest rate is with them, you got to make higher loans to somebody else to cover that interest rate. Right. That's the arbitrage. Mm-hmm. Well, as rates start to go down, banks don't move as fast because they also want to protect their returns. Absolutely. So just because you see the treasuries start to move in response to a Fed interest rate increase up, right, doesn't mean they move as fast when rates go down. Right. And they got to also remember, too, is when the banks start to price in the rate hikes, right, before the rates actually do go up, mm-hmm. they're reading the tea leaves on all the all these articles, all the um, all the data that's coming out. And these are all lagging indicators. So there will be no tea leaves for them to read, right? Because they're going to have to wait to see if it's actually being effective. Exactly. And the only pressure that lenders and banks will have as rates start to go down is competitive volume in the space. Yeah. To give you a great example, if I'm bank A and you're bank B and you're going out on multifamily lending at 7% and you're getting a ton of business. I'm going to go out at 675 or 6875 or something to that degree. Right. To try to undercut you to get some of the business or I might go out at the same rates that you are and see where my pipeline fills up. It's that kind of competitive downward pressure, right, that drives rates down over time, not so much the Fed cuts in rates. Mm-hmm. Because that'll allow banks to keep their profitability high because basically go through a period of time and lenders will go through a period of time in the next 6 months to a year where they're going to be super super compressed on margins. Yep. You're going to see earnings per share get challenged. You're going to see a lot of people in the space start to have some credit defaults. Nothing that's going to be catastrophic like the Great Recession, but you're going to see enough where there's a lot of pressure on profitability in the banking sector. Yep. Not a surprise to anybody. This should all be expected. It's part of what the Fed's doing. But then when you get to the other side of things, mm-hmm. banks are going to try to offset the, those painful months by having some really good returns for their shareholders, for their employees, Absolutely, for their yeah. businesses. So. If you think that the the logical fallacy is that we're going to wind up with rates ro- rates rates with rates <laughs> with rates dropping to five point four percent in twenty twenty three, let me tell you, that ain't happening, Chief. No, no, not going to happen. And the Fed has gone out and said, right. in prior meetings, we're going to hold rates. They're going to hold it exactly for twenty twenty three. Exactly, and then when they do bring it down, I mean, for the banks too, they don't know they can easily just bring it right back up again if the reports come out and it's all negative. Yeah, I mean, you would hope that the Fed would avoid the springboarding. I think, that, exactly. I think that's really what they're waiting for. They're waiting for some pivot. Right. Right now, we're seeing a slowing in trajectory. And to go back to one of the references I've made way, way, way back in the day, uh, besides your weight, yeah, is that you can't pull, I mean, your weight is. <laughs> yeah, I could pull my weight. Because I, I was going to make like an earth and moon rotating gravitational pull yeah. and your weight being the reference point. Yeah, I thought yeah. that would be a great, but I'm, I'm doing the, I'm doing the nice thing. I'm, hey, thank I'm you. a better person today. Hey, okay. You're I'm drinking man. strawberry beer called stress dissolver. I know I'm going to, that'll be my post for tomorrow. It's got some interesting flavor to it. It's yeah. good. Sides having Red Bull and clearly I'm the one who's hyper. That's weird. Yeah. <laughs> it, it doesn't, it's, it's weird. But what, um, so what I've been telling people for a long period of time and Saeed has, has agreed to the, to accept this is, is possibly true or he's just trying to not get in a fight with me, <laughs> is that 14 years of artificial interest rate deflation. Mm-hmm. The Fed holding rates as low as they did, combined with just dumping liquidity into the system, removed all the elasticity from the system. And it's taken a lot of big movements, a 25, a 50, a 75, a 75, and a 75 basis point increase right. just to start building momentum back. Yep. But if you imagine a pendulum swinging, 
it starts to slow down as it gets to the top. So yeah. the velocity slows down as it gets to the top. It's not going as fast as when it's at the bottom. Right. And then it's still going forward. It's still going forward all the way to the top. And then it has a brief moment where it doesn't move at all. It just stops. Right. And then it starts to slowly scale back to the way, but it doesn't really heat, hit peak velocity until it gets kind of farther down. Exactly. So you th- imagine that pendulum swinging. That's the economy right now. And this is the slowing of trajectory, and we haven't reached the top yet. Right. Before it starts moving the other way. Mm-hmm. And when we do, I think the Fed's going to say, now we're going to hold rates and let's see how far down it swings and how much momentum it builds up. Yeah, that's the real million dollar question is how long do they hold for, right? And no one's going to be able to tell because that's going to be completely driven by all the data. Yeah, data like uh, the Reuters U.S. weekly jobs claims falling. Bang. So the number of Americans filing new claims for unemployment benefits fell unexpectedly last week indicating the labor markets remain tight even as demand for labor is cooling and higher interest rates are prevalent. Yeah. So initial claims for the state unemployment benefits fell to a seasonally adjusted 214,000 for the week ending October 15th, the Labor Department said on Thursday. Right. And they need this number to go up. They do. So this number is going the wrong way still. Yeah, exactly. So kind of what we we're talking about there with momentum and trajectory and looking at data if the Fed's looking at this data, I mean, I would hope they look at this and not jolts, which we covered in the last episode and is right. completely horseshit. But yeah. looking at this and not necessarily just jolts, but if they're looking at the data, any of these things, even jolts for that matter, right? nothing is indicating that they're, they're going down. Right. So people who are criticizing the Fed for not being data-driven, I don't know what data you're looking at that you think the Fed's not being data-driven. I think what they're looking at is a stress in the banking system. Yep. I think looking at the 20, 25% loss in the markets. And they're saying to themselves, like, oh, my God, the Fed's going to break stuff. They're not looking at the data. The data you're, you want them to be yeah, focused yeah, on exactly. is not the data they're looking at to that's make their not, decision. That's not what they're concerned with, right? We've talked about it. They're concerned with inflation and they're concerned with unemployment. Yep. And that's, that's unfortunately not, not really understood by a lot of smart people. Right. <laughs> yeah. You know? And this is why I think you deserve that Nobel. It, 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 it doesn't matter how many times Jay Powell comes out. He says it. He says it in every, every single time he hits the podium. Yeah, that's got to be one of the toughest jobs. I, I think if you quit that job, you should get a salary of one hundred twenty nine. One hundred twenty nine thousand dollars. Yeah, I mean, because that's that's a toughie, man. To it be is. to be the guy, especially if you've been the last fourteen years. I could you could argue like, ah, it was an easy job. Yeah, like you didn't do, do anything. What do you want to do this week? No, nah, we good. <laughs> yeah. How about this week? No, nah, we also good. How about now? It's been like six months. You know, you know what? We're good for like the next oh, fourteen years. We we're straight. Right. But now it's a tough job. Yeah. So I mean, I, I get that. So starter homes, according to an article I found on the street, are only affordable in four cities. So define starter home. What's a starter home? Four cities. I have you to define that. Yeah, no. I'm here to look pretty and sound sexy. Okay? Look pretty, yeah. Actually, I got to get you on, on the um, on my stories behind the scenes. We'll do it later. Yeah. And I want you, I want you to film... Since I made the hairy toes comment, Saeed has been wearing socks every time he comes I've in I've only worn socks. Like, I'll this, never this have my awkward. toes out. I'll never have my toes out. It's a thing now. I get it. <laughs> it's a thing. You, you're, I've, I've embarrassed you. I apologize for hurting your feelings. Oh, you've never hurt my feelings. Fuzzy as they may be, no, I apologize man. for hurting your fuzzy feelings. I don't know if I'm weird or not. I just don't like having my toes out. Like, I love having my toes out. You know why you feel like that way? Because no. you've got a fur blanket on your toes. Like I'll wear, I'll wear sandals like with socks on. 
But You're not that guy. No, it slides though. Not like that the not the one that comes know. in between the toes. No, yeah. No, 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 yeah, no. yeah, 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 yeah. That is inappropriate. We'll, <laughs> we'll discuss fashion on a future episode. That is that is not good. Um, you were gonna you were gonna define starter home. No, no, you were gonna define starter home. I'm for not people. defining the damn thing for you, sir. <laughs> so there's only four. There's only four major cities. Okay, before we get there, why don't we do this? The most unaffordable cities for starter homes, and I'm going to list them off fast, so if you're writing these down, don't. Uh, Los Angeles, where the median renter income equals only 30% of the total needed to make a starter home affordable. Median starter home prices for September were $682,000. So there, there's kind of a bit of a definition. Wow. Right? They're looking at the median income the renter income and they're yeah. looking at the, the home home costs in the cities to really right. come up with that conclusion. Right. So Los Angeles, by far and away, the most unaffordable. New York City, shockingly number two. New York City for the longest time was number one. 34% median starting home price, 544000 God damn. Long Beach, California, number three. This one shocked the shit out of me. I did not see this one as number three. 36% median starting home price, 562000 Oakland, 37% median home price, Six hundred twenty-three thousand. Five, number five, San Jose, thirty-seven percent median starting home price, nine hundred thirty-three thousand. Well, we guess we guess now we know why that's number one 10, on the chart. Yeah, ten percent down and decrease in value. Miami, forty percent median starting home price, three hundred fifty-seven thousand. That yeah. number surprised me. Yeah, I feel like Long Beach and Miami are flip. <laughs> yeah, right. Number seven, San Diego, forty percent median starting home price, six hundred fifty thousand. Number eight. Kick right in the ding ding. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, damn. San Francisco, 40% median starting home price, $1,048,000. Median. Wow. Like, just chalk it up as an L. You ain't getting in there. You ain't no, getting, you're in, not getting in there. So, yeah. what, are the, what are the four affordable cities? So, I would like to point out, I pointed this out on social media. I live in Southern California. Mm-hmm. My rental properties are largely centered in the Midwest, and I've been an open advocate of Oklahoma. So if you listened live with Adam when we did that, I talked a little bit about the portfolio there. I'm a big believer in a small suburb called Edmond. My, my sister lives there. My mom lives there. It, it's just, uh, I think I want to say northwest of Oklahoma City. Beautiful suburb, great schools. The only affordable cities for starter homes in the U.S., there are four. Number one, Detroit. Median renter income equals 131% of the total needed to make a starter home affordable. Median starting home price forty eight thousand dollars. Not sure. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's a reason for that, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. It is. A, it is a tough area. It is a tough area, and I'm not trying to piss anybody off in Detroit, but I've been to Detroit. It's rough. Yeah. It, it goes from street to street. It goes like a whole street will be beautiful, nice. Everyone's taking care of their home. The next street over, every house is boarded up. Yeah. It's scary, man. Honestly. So um please send all hate mail to the official site over at gmail.com. I would love for, for Detroit to turn that around. Oh, that that's not gonna occur. You political favor with you, bro. You just shot the entire city. No, I did not. It is what it is. You think they know it? I know it. You know it. I don't know a damn thing about what yeah, you're talking yes, about. Yes, you do. I, I am you not said, involved. You said in it. You just said <laughs> it's, a, it's a little bit of a rough area. I'll be interviewing people for the new next co-host <laughs> next week. <laughs> the number two most affordable city. With 119% median renter income, with a median starter home price of $95,000, the one and only, the fabulous Tulsa, Oklahoma, everybody. Boom. Boom. Love Tulsa. Big fan. Colleges, everything else nearby. Great. Yep. I, I like it. If you're, if you're an investor, great place to be. I like it a lot. I like yeah. it. <laughs> 
Number three, you've never been there. Memphis, 111% of the median renter income and median starting home price at $87,000. Wow. And not to be outdone by number four, Oklahoma City, baby. Woo! There, there it is. Oklahoma made on there twice. Look 100.4% median starting home price, $126,000, which if my sister were to ever listen to the podcast, she doesn't because she hates me, but she's my property manager and my realtor out there. I've been paying a whole hell of a lot more than $126,000 lately, girl. Yeah. Clearly, there's some problem here going, yeah, you know. what's going on? But uh, to piggyback off of this with some of these home prices that are so out of control, I found an article on Bloomberg that referenced renters hit a breaking point in a sudden reversal for landlords. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I saw this article. I didn't read it, though. You didn't? <laughs> Thanks. No, no. Before you posted it, right. I was like, that makes sense. It just makes sense. If you don't remember, not too long ago, people were fighting over apartments being put on waiting lists, bidding on units. You were saying your brother, yeah, yeah. Your brother had to bid on it, right? Um, now, particularly in places that saw major gains during the pandemic, like Las Vegas and Phoenix, applications are decreasing and the listings are lingering a little bit longer. So uh, here's a quote from the article. Rents nationally increased 7.5% in September from a year earlier, above pre-pandemic levels but down from a peak jump of nearly 18% at the start of the year when vacancies also were lower according to apartment lists. Mm, yeah. Is it bad that I, I hope you fumble the statement so I can make fun of you for yeah, once? Yeah, you want it so bad. I want it I so can, bad. I can sense you. Like, I'm like, I'm like you're, on ed, you're on the edge of your seat, yeah. Come on, man. Fumble that bag, boy. They had an interesting stat in there, too. Um, the average American would have to put in more than 64 hours of work in September to pay the typical monthly rent. Am I the only person that doesn't like when people re- reference the average American? <laughs> Why? Like, it, it's, like, what you're trying to say is like the average American salary, you know, across the U.S. I think it was it, what they were basing it off of was the average uh, minimum wages. What? Yeah. No. Yeah. Technical foul. Yeah. No, yeah, I'm serious. Sober up, son. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not even drinking. <laughs> no. That answer is wrong. Right. <laughs> yeah, wrong. Dr. Doom says it's wrong. So, I mean. I really got to perfect the Dave Ramsey voice. You've, yeah, you have. I, I've got it. I got it. I got to really. You think I have? Yeah. I just do redneck. And that's what comes out. Is it Dave Ramsey? <laughs> oh, don't, don't. Yeah, I don't think you can say that. <laughs> I'm from Oklahoma, bro. I was born there. I am the definite. I was born in Enid, Oklahoma. Don't come at me with that shit. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't co-sign. I got every right to do that. Not co-sign that one. Okay, well, Detroit will kill you and <laughs> the Midwest will kill you. Somebody in the Midwest will come after me. That's fine. Well, before I rudely interrupted with uh, work stuff, let's talk more about Biden's student loan forgiveness plan temporarily blocked. Now, I was mm. told today that it has since been unblocked. Uh. But I thought it valuable to voice some of my concerns. Said has some interesting concerns on this with why we think this is problematic. Granted, PPP was a whole disaster clusterfuck. I don't think that was fair either. Right. But there are some really, really significant problems with student loan forgiveness. Not saying that I, I don't like the concept, but the execution here was dog shit. Yeah, exactly. What they used to get past was dog shit. But here, let's get some of the facts out there before we dive into it. Okay, so a uh, federal district judge in Missouri initially ruled against a lawsuit that was brought by six Republican-led states. Mm-hmm. Okay, so he ruled against it, threw it out, said everything's fine. Then they appealed it at the Eighth Circuit Court of Appeals, and they issued an injunction blocking any debt relief okay so they're not saying it's unconstitutional like they just said hey hold on we need to figure this shit out before before any debt actually gets relieved now 
it's not blocked. You could still go on and apply. Yeah, but they're not going to be able to execute on it until they're not. Done. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So um, I think some of the uh, the headings and titles on some of these articles saying that it's blocked are making it seem like it's not happening. It's just they're sorting sorting it out. So here's my problem is not only the way this was implemented was never intended this way. So this is, in my mind, an abuse of government, mm-hmm. right? That They're implementing something like this, which was never what the bill that they leveraged to get this done with was passed for. Right. Uh, so it's a wartime thing. It's right? a wartime bill. Right. It, it was supposed to special privileges during war. That was supposed to allow, and we're at war currently or involved in war, which is also horseshit, whatever. Right. So let, let's just forego that problem. Here is my two scenarios that just pissed me off to no end. Mm-hmm. And I'm an angry person, so for you to get me even more angry, like, kudos to you, government. Right. Kudos to you. Right. So, number one, if you went to school and you got student loans and you got out and you said, you know what? We're in some seriously low interest rates right now. Yeah. I'm going to go to a private lender and I'm going to refinance out of my, I don't know, seven and a half, eight and a half percent Stafford loan, government-backed loan into a, a private company like you know, uh, any company, any bank or lender, I think First Republic had some stuff at one point. SoFi had some stuff. Right. And you refinance out to them to a lower rate. That's a smart, prudent financial. That is the financially literate, smart thing to do. I know, but here's the issue I have with this argument. And now you correct me if I'm wrong because you know, you know, the legality behind it all. Okay. So if, if, so, if you get a loan from an institution and there's, you know, in your loan, you have loan covenants and there's some privileges that come with that, Right. If you refi out of that, now you lose those privileges. You don't get to carry those things forward. So, for instance, with if, with the loan, the privileges with the you know uh, the Stafford loans and whatnot through the government, there's all kinds of forbearance plans, deferment plans, income based repayment plans. You can't then now go if you refi out to let's say SoFi or First Republic, be like, hey, I want to get on an income based repayment plan. I was like, hold on, that doesn't work over here. That only worked over there. That's true, but I mean. Think about it in the context. If you're looking to pay these off at some point in time, yeah. that interest can save you tens of oh, thousands of dollars. I agree time. with you. It's a smart financial play. Now, I understand you might lose some of those, quote, benefits. Yeah. But if you do the smart, prudent thing, you don't get student loan forgiveness now. Yeah, exactly. You're, you're asked out. So you're at, for doing the smart thing, the reasonable, adult, mature thing, and saying, I know I'm going to pay this off. I know that I'm going to be employed. And I'm going to do the stand-up thing no matter what. So I'm going to pay this back like any other debt. Yeah, and you and you did that. Anyone thought that they would actually ever, you know, forgive any student debt? My dad did. My dad was telling me, "Oh, it's gonna happen." I'm like, "Dad, you're out of your." No, but like years ago, like when people re- refined their debt out for the last like 10, 15 years, however long, you know. Maybe, maybe, but so here's another scenario. Let's let's see how you feel about this, Mister Controversy. Okay, <laughs> I, I, if you went to school and let's say you were a kid, uh, much like myself, who didn't have your parents pay for anything, right? And you went to an undergraduate school that was expensive. I went to junior college first, still went to undergraduate school, went to get went to law school, yeah. right? You get an MBA. You, I mean, there's a lot of debt involved here. Thank God when I went to Yale, it was all paid in cash. But um, Damn, ball so hard. Bro, I, was, it was no, I had no choice at that point in time. They, they took cash only. It was cash yeah. only. <laughs> <laughs> cash only, sir. <laughs> they're, they're like, student loans? Oh. No. Not for yeah. this program. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> they're like, it's called an executive program for a reason. Yeah, yeah. Ching, ching. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Anyway. Um, <laughs> Jesus Christ, that sounds so dead. This is why I get arrogant comments. This is this is why. <laughs> this is why. This is why. This is why this is you set yourself up. But it's the truth, though. Yeah, I shouldn't yeah. be penalized for saying the truth. The not arrogant, only am I penalized for student loans, now I'm penalized for this shit. Um, so if you go to school and you have a lot of debt like that, like that, right? Let's say you get out of school and you get a good job. Yep. And let's say you you have like if you have like if you're in medical school or law school or you go to business school and you get all these loans, 
your lo- your student loan debt adds up, especially if you go like a higher in school. Oh yeah, I have I have friends that graduated from med school, and if you couple that in with their undergrad, they're walking out with like five hundred grand. Okay, wow. Yeah, <laughs> Jesus. Okay, that's painful, but yeah. So let's say you're one of those people, right? And you've been working for I don't know eight years, nine years. Yep. You haven't paid off your student loans yet, mm-hmm. right? Right. Now you got a job, but you've been working successfully. Yep. You came out of these good schools. You got a Let's just say maybe you maybe you made less than the cutoff of one hundred twenty five thousand. Let's say you made one hundred thousand when you first got out, and, and now you're making two three hundred thousand. You don't get student student debt relief. I know that part's fucked up. What the fuck? Yeah, I forget the percentage. We did a breakdown on this on a previous episode, but it, a a bulk. I, I don't want to just throw out any number, but I know that a a majority of the people with student loans are getting student debt loan. Relief. I know, I know. And that, that's the only reason why I pretty much just shut up and accepted it. Yeah. Like the overall majority of the population is getting a benefit from this. Is getting a benefit from this. I don't know the but exact But what kind number. of message are you sending? Yeah. And uh, here's the thing. So they limit it to like 125000 right? In income? Yeah. For a single and then it's like household. Like, yeah. Added, like yeah. Exactly. So 250 in total. Like I, apparently 150000 was on the table and they're like, nah. They just, yeah, they cut off like last minute. Yeah. It was like a last minute change. Yeah, and you're so. just like, okay, why? I don't understand, but okay. I, I look at this kind of stuff and I'm frustrated as shit because I'm sitting here thinking to myself like, wh- why isn't graduation a requirement? That part is very frustrating. Yeah. Like, I mean, so well, because some of this, well, I guess the theory behind it would be that some of the kids are still in school getting student loans. Okay, if you're in school or you graduated, you get it. That's a simple fix. I can write that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I get it. No, there's a lot there's a lot wrong with it. I think honestly, we know why this is being passed, right? This is this is for yeah, the midterm. For the midterms, Dems, yeah. Dems need some votes. Yeah. Th- this is a huge core voter base for them. But surprisingly, I don't know, like they're not really running on it. I haven't seen anyone post about it cuz I yet you will. You will. Yeah, because you they're will. afraid they're they're afraid like look, we promised you but now you I got will. taken away, but You will. Biden's going to be eating ice cream cones saying, "Remember when I gave you that money?" <laughs> the ice cream cones. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I gave you that money, boy. Yeah. You know that here's, here's a fucked up. Well, thing. Eating that rocky. Is I know I know someone somewhere when they were writing this bill, Democrat or Republican, whoever the hell it was that agreed to this, said something to the effect of, you know what? Doctors and lawyers, they're gonna vote. Yeah. The the successful business person, they're gonna vote. Yeah. But these people, yeah. Now they're gonna vote for us. Right. Well, that's the goal, anyways. I mean right. that's that's what's really going we'll on. We'll see here. the turnout, but I don't know. I will not see the turnout. Yeah. I'll be part of the turnout. Oh, okay. My bad. Yeah. I vote, brother. Yeah. Okay, brother. Yeah. Damn. For myself and Kanye. Yeah. <laughs> no, we're not, we're not touching that one. <laughs> can I, can I tell you one thing with the whole Kanye thing? Oh, yeah. Oh, I got have st- have I, you noticed that he's been wearing the hats lately with the year on? Is he, is he trying to run yeah, again? 2024? Is yeah, 2024? Yeah. No, he talked about it. There were some 2023 ones that he was wearing, too. And I was like, wait a minute. This ain't yeah. an election. Does he know? <laughs> Does he know? Does he know? Those are the midterms, brother. Yeah. So, yeah, 2023, when you guys all lose your jobs, come to me. I'll give you a check. Yeah, I, I just don't know. You had a story? Yeah, no, no, actually, I don't. Well, you backed off a story? Backed off the story. Wow, I didn't realize you had, like, boundaries. <laughs> I feel very weird now. Is I don't want to touch it. I want to touch it. Well, speak, speaking of retail, <laughs> I was going to say a single white female addicted to retail, but yeah. that's a oh, Kanye oh, lyric. Oh, yeah, that was See, good. That was good, Quick, right? That yeah. was good. I'm there out here, go. bro. I'm Cerebral, to bro. <laughs> I'm not allowed to say that I listen to Kanye anymore, but I did at one point in time. I like yeah. the old Kanye. Yeah, there's a lot Kanye. of people that you're not allowed to say you listen to anymore. Yeah, I know. It's messed right? up, right? It's really messed up. Like, you got to, you know, listen to it with your windows up, you know, like a volume real low. It's bad. Yeah. It wasn't Every, always ever, that way. Coming, yeah, no, mess around and get canceled out here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just give me some Sam Smith. Uh, a looming recession isn't show isn't slowing down luxury goods sales. Mm. 
This according to Business Week. And I'm going to read uh, pretty much the whole thing here because I think all of this is valuable. But on October 11th, the same day, the IMF warned of the darker economic clouds on the horizon. And Saeed, you want to talk about what the IMF is? Uh, I got it in my notes. I have to pull it up for you. International Monetary Fund, you you asshole. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't want to mess it up and chop it up. You you gave me shit for not remembering that I brought up shit last time. (laughs) You're like, I talked about Kathy Woods and you didn't remember it. You're an idiot. After the show, you're giving me shit. And I had to go back. And the worst part about it was, it was the show that was out that day. Yeah, it was the same. I listened to that day before it came on the show. Even more of an insult to me. Yeah, it was terrible. I heard you say it twice and I ignored it. For the record, Chris listens to the podcast. When I start talking, he fast forwards. Skip, 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 skip. Yeah. <laughs> so on October 11th, the same day as the International Monetary Fund uh, warned of darker economic clouds on the horizon, the world's biggest luxury company posted surprisingly strong sales. LVMH, Moet, Hennessy, Louis Vuitton, SE. I don't even know what that means. That means they own a lot of shit. Is that just Louis Vuitton? Like, no, no. Oh, Louis, is it Hennessy? Are Louis these Vuitton, are all different companies? No, it's all one company. What the hell? LVMH owns them all. Wow. Yeah. They're, they're, they're like everybody. Yeah. I'm including? Too, I'm, including? I'm too poor to know. Some of the baddest watches in the game. Yeah, those are nice watches. <sighs> you don't even know what kind of watch that is, do you? Uh, That one's an AP, right? That is an AP. Jesus Christ. That's Royal Oak. Good job. Yeah, there you go. Look at you. Ball so hard. Chew Wally Wally. Yeah, we couldn't even afford to buy one of those. We put all, pulled all our money together. <laughs> <laughs> uh, managed and beat analyst estimates at four of its five main divisions. Mm. In other words, while... Grocers see their customers become penny wise when inflation strikes. Yeah. Louis Vuitton can boost prices without immediately hurting demand. Mm. They're raising prices just like Pepsi did. Right. Now, I don't know how much that impacts everyone that listens to the show, but other stuff that is getting rid all the prices are getting, um, are going through the roof is Apple. I said to that article, Apple streaming service, the music service. Increasing prices. Increasing prices. You can bank on them. Netflix going to a tier service. Hulu going to a tier service. I don't even know how many users they have. Like 150 million users. If and they Netflix raise it, just posted a, a super high return. Like they were, they were people were they were going to fall off, and they just posted a huge subscriber. Think about it. If they just raise a, a dollar per month, it's extra 150 million dollars a month. Pepsi did that, and they wound up crushing it. Yeah, 17 percent more. Crazy. Because they're, they're like, oh, our cost went up. Your cost is going up. Yeah, plus some profit. Yeah. Thank you, everybody. And then they're going to do this whole ad tier thing, which is just going to be annoying. I'm not doing that. I'm, I'm going to pay whatever, whatever the negligible dollar Yeah, man. I'm, I'm to the point now where I got to. And before anybody gets at me for being ag- arrogant because I don't want to see commercials, like I'm not, I'm not, I just said I can't afford an AP with yeah, Saeed's money well, and well, my we're money. Well, tr- we're trying to be unbiased here, so I'm, we can't get influenced by these ads. I don't want to see, I don't want to see people who's going to say, Chris, you're right all the time. I want to hear people say, Chris, you're right most of the time. Most of the time. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Like I'm, I'm considerate that way. Right. The immense growth in affluence worldwide partly explains the increase in demand for luxury goods. Global financial wealth grew 10.6% last year, the fastest rate in more than a decade. That's a whole lot of money. 10.6%. Wow. I wonder if that's post-crypto fallout, though. See, this is you, bro. That's no, this is all me. This is all me. Like I'm good. See, yeah. If this is why they come after you. Yeah, not no. me. The cryptocurrency is the best. <laughs> the best cryptocurrency is email me at the official christianhebert.com. <laughs> yeah. Um, this is why they come after me. You know what? I deserve it sometimes. But yeah. it's okay. Another positive news. So now actually this is kind of a bit of a, a harkening back to the beginning of the episode. I think we should probably address this. This is what we meant when we say the consumer is not pulled back in spending. Right. I understand these are luxury goods, 
But what I will say is in my experience, and not everyone's going to agree with this. Okay. I would say most people who buy from Louis Vuitton are not super affluent. It's like the middle class. It's the lower class. The really, really high net worth people generally don't shop at places like that. Really? Yeah. Well, I don't shop there. So steering clear of that store. Is the illusion that you also hard saying? No, no, absolutely not. It's just, I don't know what, that. I don't know. I don't know. I don't even know the rankings of these brands. Like I just know all the, the really there's expensive not a, ones. There's not a ranking. There's gotta be, bro. <laughs> what like do you some mean? some ranking system out there. Like, like, I can't even tell the difference. Gucci is better than Louis Vuitton. I, I, I don't know. Is that better? Is it worse? No, oh, it's Gucci? just personal preference. Hermes? Do you like Nike? Hermes? Which one's, which, oh, well, that's better, right? <laughs> you like Nike? Do you like Reebok? Nike, bro. All day. There's not like a ranking. No, there's a ranking. There's not a ranking. Yes, there is. That's in your Nike. head. No, no, no. No, there's a ranking. That, that, that's in your head. That's why all the, the top athletes go to Nike. There's a reason for okay, that. No, that, that. <laughs> Branding, it's the marketing, everything, everything behind you know it. We, we, no, we're not talking about fashion. We're not, we're not going to do this. Come on. Okay. We're the higher standard Only of fashion. one of us is colorblind. Yeah. With hair on his toes. Yeah. Oh. I'm not saying who it is, though. Come on, That could be me, bro. It is you. <laughs> it's not me. My toes are exposed. Yours are not. <laughs> it's just socks over there. I'm going to start calling you Socks. That's a new intro. Oh, I like that. Yeah. All right, Socks. <laughs> Intel is expected to announce targeted layoffs of thousands of its employees in November. Wow. In response to layoff rumors, the company's stock price has risen. Wow. And I, I, I pulled this article from Forbes uh, for a reason. Historically, companies announcing layoffs have underperformed the market in the long run. Mm. So... It's interesting to see how someone like FedEx can talk about they're going to change their pro forma for the next year, 2023, and take a huge stock hit. Mm -hmm. But then a company like Intel, according to this Forbes article anyway, titled Intel layoffs, will Intel stock keep going up by cutting costs? And the answer is yes, it did, at least in the short term. What do you think the reasoning behind that was? Because they know they're doing the the right thing to right-size the company for the weather of the storm. Right. I think the market is saying this is a smart decision for the company to do this. Now, can the company continue to do what it needs to do and perform with less yeah. employees? What, what do you think? They're, they're probably cutting the, cutting the jobs of like the research and development team or like contractors, you know what I mean? Not, I, I, I don't know the infrastructure better enough, but here's what I'll tell you. A smart company right now would say, okay, even if we don't have to make quote layoffs that are like a 10% just cut, yeah. it would be smart to say strategically, we're walking into a year where we're going to make less money. Yep. We have a couple different choices how we can handle this. We can go the uh, Netflix route, mm-hmm. right? We can raise prices a little bit. Right. We can go the Pepsi route, raise prices, our cost went up, your cost went up, keep the same inf- infrastructure. You can do uh, a little bit of combination of different things, including the other option, which is you can say, we're going to cut human capital of the excess fat that we have here. Right. In every corporation, there are people uh, who generally do not have a high value proposition to the company. Okay. Uh, a great example of that is my favorite corporate looter, um, and his name escapes me right now. Come on. Ah, why am I blanking on this now in the middle of the show? Mm. God damn it. Because it's 10 o'clock at night. That's not it. It's not it. I'll think of it. But basically, a very common thing for uh, corporate looters to come in or corporate raiders to come in is they'll come in, they'll try to take over a company, right, in a, yeah. in a takeover, hostile takeover. And, and what they'll do is they'll try to come in and, and trim the fat. And when they do that, they they look for people who are not necessarily needed for their jobs. Mm-hmm. Sometimes that they hit the nail on the head. Why do you have fourteen vice presidents who all do the same thing, and why do they have receptionists and stuff like that? Right. And sometimes do evaluation of everybody. Right. Yeah. Right. They, well, it's not necessarily evaluation, but if you think of the movie Office Space, yeah, 
where the two bobs are there. Yeah, yeah. Great movie. Uh, and, and they're interviewing people with their jobs. Yep. That's kind of what people will do to try to make, take an assessment. Now, if you can execute, you know, if you, if you can execute on, on getting rid of some of those jobs in a market like this where you're getting the pressure. Yeah. And improve your profitability as well as keeping your performance. Right. Whatever, if you're producing something, if you're a service-based business, you can keep that still high. Right. Then it's a win. You'll come out the other side. And okay. the market will price you accordingly. Right. You can certainly do both, raise prices and do that. But this is the time to look at your human capital, the cost of systems, the infrastructure, right. and start making... This is why we said that in 2023, that is when you're really going to start to see that unemployment number start to tick up, right? These things take time, right? It's not, not something that can come in and happen overnight. And they don't happen overnight. And that's, that's uh, Carl Icahn. Fuck, I was struggling. Carl Icahn. Okay, Carl yeah. Icahn, yeah. Carl Icahn is the epitome of somebody who does this. A great, great special on him on his, uh, I think it was on HBO, uh, talking about his life. But he was an American financier. He's the founder and controlling shareholder of Icon Enterprises. Mm-hmm. But, but basically, he went in, and this is what he was known for. He was he he went into companies and saying like, "Hey, these people all here are not are not valuable to the company. They're not working very hard. There's tons of room for improvement." People hated him. Yeah, and people loved him. And he's very polarizing as an individual, but. This is kind of what he looked at during, you know, just his tenure on the, in the market anyway. This is kind of what he did. Uh-huh. That being said, so companies are now taking a look at their own internal systems. They don't have to wait for someone like this to come from the outside in and say, hey, this is all bullshit. Right. Uh, and, they're, and, you know, Intel is doing that. And the market clearly reacted in, in a positive way. Now, whether that will remain positive or not, um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I, I, don't, I, don't, I think it's a near-term benefit for them. It's going to come down to can they continue to produce their, their chips and do what they do. I mean... So for, for people like Carl Icahn, I mean, how big of a company do they normally like go into? Oh, dude, I could talk about Carl Icahn for like days. Yeah. So I am, um, growing up, I was somewhat fascinated with what he did and the, the uh, special that came out about him was interesting. So I'm going to, I think I have to find some of the companies that's here. Because yeah, that takes a different kind of talent to be able to, you know, understand a business and what it does, right? And be able to go in and assess yeah, so exactly here, here, what's going on. So I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna skip some stuff here, but in 1990 he offered to acquire Pan Am for 375 million. In 1994 he took a 6.6 percent interest in the Western Company of North America, as it was in the process of being acquired by BJ Services. <laughs> Pause. Yeah. <laughs> February 1997, Icon sold his 7.3 percent interest in RJR Nabisco for 125 million. June 1997, Icon took control of Marvel Comics in a rivalry with uh, Ronald Perlman. Ronald Perlman was the, uh, I think he was the chairman of the board of uh, Revlon, if I recall correctly. Uh-huh. Uh, in March of 1998, uh, again, uh, bid for Pan Am, offering $43 million. December 1998, Icon led an investor group that acquired a 5% stake in RGR Nabisco and presumed the company uh, and pressured the company's management to separate um, it's tobacco, it's tobacco from the food unit. Don't, don't wow. read into my, my yeah, fucking yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> But I'm trying to help you out, bro. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Dude, the, the stuff that this guy's done has been immensely fascinating. I wonder if they have a documentary name here. I'll see if I can find it real quick while, while you entertain yeah. everybody. Yeah, while I entertain everybody. Talk, no, talk I to, mean, talk amongst yourselves. Yeah, talk to yourselves. So, I mean, that's what I, I'm curious to know is like how big of these are all pretty fairly large companies for him to go into. He's not coming into some low level, you know, public company in assessing what's going on so there. So there's, I guess there's two. There's Icon, the restless billionaire on HBO Max. You know that's going to crush. Um, and HBO, one, HBO doesn't miss. miss, dude. Yeah, well, I mean, and maybe it was the same one on on Netflix then. Yeah, Icon, yeah, it was on Netflix too. Yeah. 
the restless billionaire i think it's currently on hbo and it might be still be on netflix but that that's the one that i saw i mean he's obviously a, a different kind of dude now i think he's operated out of florida now instead of new york but he uh it's a fascinating story it, there are lots of people who hate him for what he did right because he came in and he restructured well, and obviously, obviously and a lot of people have to, i mean he comes in people lose jobs so but if you if you want to learn about the market in a different perspective and kind of see some of the details and nuances of what a, a hostile takeover looks like. Yeah. This man was magical at it. Magical. He's also can come off as ruthless. Yeah. No, 1000%. And I, you yeah. know, I, I admire that. Yeah. But it, there's an argument to be made that he. Wow. Had, I gave you the freebie. I admire that. You didn't take it. Yeah. You look at you. I, wait, <laughs> but oh, you made me lose my train of thought. Yeah, yeah, that's right. You lose that train of thought. Yeah. Oh, yeah I'll entertain the crowd. No, while you do this. no but it's, it's a necessary evil. Right. He's doing it to keep the company afloat. Well, and that was what was so polarizing about this particular documentary was that he 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 was it was essentially just him talking about his life now and then kind of going over the history of, of how some of these things unfolded. And, they you know, did some flashbacks and stuff like that. But it was really his perspective on it. And he never he used that to his advantage, the stigma of being this negative persona. Right. And the necessary evil, and he used that to his advantage strategically to to kind of carry his image into some of these meetings. But at the same time, he always looked at it as optimizing the company for the shareholders. Yeah, I'm trying to bring as much value to this and then give it back. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, I, I'm I'm trying to improve upon what's done here, and and he he talked a lot about the CEO in American culture and some of the things that were going on in some of these companies and, and how corrupt some of the spending had been. And not, not everybody's like this, but he certainly had many, many, many examples of people just being very ego driven. Uh-huh. It, it's truly a fascinating documentary about American business. Well, you about, would think, you would think the management team has to take a step back. Right. And now be like, sir, please come in and tell us what we're doing wrong. No, 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 no. It was never that friendly. It was him coming into board meetings, him buying up enough shares. Oh, forcing his way. Forcing in. his way and going over like, you know, nine, almost 10%. And, yeah. then, and then having a, a controlling voice, doing you know, proxy votes, and then forcing his way into shareholder meetings where he basically said, I can do this better than you and you need to answer for X, Y, and Z. Because keep in mind, these public companies have public filings. Right. And he could go through the public filings from just from a pure accounting and you know understanding perspective and say, this product line doesn't make sense or this business doesn't make sense. Right. And he would start to get to know a lot of the people in the companies and what was going on and the shareholders. Yeah. And it becomes a very, very powerful thing to, to control the shareholders. People underestimate the value of owning stock. So is that now, how does that relate to what Elon initially did with Twitter? Well, Elon... Elon acquired, it's very similar. He acquired enough shares enough where shares. he could do a similar thing to and what he has a voice. He did, yeah, yeah. Where he has a voice and now he can come in and try to push things. And his original statement was, I don't want to run the company. I just want yeah. to be able to improve things. Right. That's exactly, to some effect, what Carl Icahn did. But Carl Icahn did was way more masterful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Way more masterful, way more just creative in, in how he did these things. And he was very calculated. I think Elon Musk is very frenetic and schizophrenic in some ways. Like he's just all over the place. And maybe this is not his, his primary job, but Carl Icahn was like a master at it. He was like a surgeon. Oh, like, he, he knew what he was doing. I'll check out the... So I, for those of you who don't own stock, one of the things you get, if you own one piece of stock through whatever trading account you have, right. you can listen in or go to the shareholder meetings. Yeah, and those earnings calls. And they're listening to the earnings calls and, and go to the shareholder meetings and you can, you can participate if you own one share stock. If you own one share, yeah. This exactly. is why so many people own Berkshire Hathaway, just like one shop. And I think it's also... it's. Companies are not required to actually have those earning calls, right? Uh, no, they're not right. actually they're, required. So, so usually if they're having them, um, 
this, they're probably telling you about future plans and they're, they're pushing all well, this. Well, you have to be careful. Uh, SEC says you can't, you can't give pro forma, you know, put, you can't tell the market what you're going to do. Oh, what you're, what you're going to do. Yeah. But it's usually a positive spin on what's happened. It's supposed to be a retroactive look yeah. and then kind of some explanation and some Q and A. So you'd be, yeah. you'd be very, very careful. It, it's surprisingly difficult to, to, to navigate the questions in a way that doesn't give you any future guidance. Yeah. I actually thought about this topic for a future episode is like maybe help people, you know, listen in on the earnings call and what they should be looking out for, you know? Ooh, that's an interesting one. I never really thought about that one. Yeah. Uh, I, I started listening to our own. That's where I got my kind of learning and understanding. Yeah. And then I started listening to uh, others after that. And it gave me some insight. It's interesting to hear from the executive management, like the CEOs, the presidents, um, the operational people, the CFOs. Yeah. To figure out, you know, kind of their personalities and listen to them a little bit. And then you hear how the company's running in addition to that. And then you'll see that you'll hear the analysts on Wall Street whose job yeah. is to be in the sector and know the space. You'll, you'll hear them ask questions because what they're trying to do is they're trying to figure out how they should value or how they should understand this company's functions. So, yeah. And it's never like, hey, you're going to do X, Y, and Z in the future. They just want to know, is this expected to carry on? Is this, yeah. is this like a business that you plan on continuing forward with? Or do you see this being just as valuable? So the questions aren't necessarily, are you going to do this in the future? But they're still kind of alluding to that. Uh, it, it's an interesting thing to do, but as you start getting more and more into the SEC stuff, it gets a lot more complicated. And I would say for most of you listening to the show, the best place for you to start is to do it, buy some stock into some companies that you really, really like. Yeah. Um, Pepsi, um, you know, Wells Fargo, whatever you, whatever you want to buy. Nike. Nike. Yeah. If you're into that. <laughs> <laughs> the number one shoe company, apparently, because yeah. there's a list out there somewhere. Yeah, somewhere exactly. But then you do this and then you, even if you buy one, one share of stock, you'll get the information sent to you via your custodian, uh, letting you know this annual shareholder meeting, stuff like that, and the phone calls. Listen in. Yeah. Get a flavor for it. If you like it, you could go down the, the path and, and be stuck in this stuff for a long right. period of time. Be, it'll, be, it'll be cool to listen in on a company that you really like. Yeah. I mean, and I do it all the time. I do it all the time. I try. I geek out on it though. In a way. I, like I'll be in the car, like driving to work uh, during earnings season, and I'll be like listening in on like American Express. Right. Yeah, I do that a lot. Oh, cool. Like, yeah. Teslas are pretty cool too. All right. So I have one topic that I've been meaning to cover for the last several weeks, and I, every time last we get to the show, weeks. last several weeks, it's been on my mind, and it's been getting, it's been growing like a tumor in the back of my mind. It's been bothering me so much. And then we have Q and A to do a little bit. Let's see. We're, we're at an hour and eight minutes. We'll go a little long. Fuck it. Okay. Fuck it. I have, and you and I have not discussed this, so feel free to call me an asshole. Oh, boy. After it's warranted, not now. Oh, boy. Hopefully it pops, okay? I have been going a lot of places recently, and now post-pandemic, for some reason, everybody's got the electronic thing you put your card into. And in Europe, when you go to Europe, they always charge your card at the table versus taking your card away. Yeah. And a lot, of, a lot of people in the United States are doing that, too. Yeah, I'm starting to see that pick up. Yeah, and it's, it's starting to be a thing. And, you know, hey, kudos to everybody for, for embracing technology. And it's, it's a great, beautiful thing. I got a fucking problem with tipping everybody, though. Oh, tipping has become a problem? Tipping's a problem. Like, these little machines that give you, like, the opportunity. They don't even start at, like, they used to go, like, 10%, 15%, 18% or 10, 15, and 20. Now they start at, like, 18. Yeah, yeah, They go yeah, 20 yeah. and 25. And you got to pick one of the boxes. And there's a small little tiny box in the corner that says you can click other. Yeah. Uh, or, or no. Or no, And it's yeah. super tiny. Yeah. And I'm like. This is fucked. Like, why am I tipping you? Wait, why, why are you making me feel bad? And it's like, it's gotten to the point where everybody, if I go to, uh, literally, I'll go to like a, a fast food place. Yeah. And at, like, I went to like a little Thai takeout place the other day. Uh -huh. I understand it's mom and pop shop. 
but it was like bodega style, like tiny yeah, little place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Their choices, the tip them started at twenty percent. Yeah, <laughs> I'm like, what are you get? Are you paying off the mob or some shit? Like, what's going on it's here? It's funny you bring this up. So, like, I have no problem tipping at restaurants for my waiters and waitresses. I have no problem tipping. No, one thousand percent. Tons bar- of respect yo, for that. My, my barber, I love tipping them too. It's all gravy. But like, like you, so the kids uh, really enjoy going to Panera Bread. Right for whatever reason they, they do it too. They like, the, bro, Panera. I gotta go pick up my own pizza for yeah. the kids. You know what that, I mean? That's like, my thing, though. It's like I went to a takeout place the other day. Not not the the type of different place. I'm opening up a beer, uh, <laughs> but I went I went to a takeout place. I literally walked in. I grabbed my food. I hit no, yeah. and he because you know he sees it on the other side of the screen. Yeah, they're staring at it too. Like, what is this he guy looked gonna at me do? Like, okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. I want to ask them too. Like, hey, is this coming to your your pocket or is it I, going to the business? I am not the asshole. Okay. Yeah, yeah. You didn't do anything. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Like you wrapped it up and put it in a box. Yeah. Like you didn't. There was no service. It's becoming too much. It's it's too much. Yeah. Everywhere. I mean, you go. it's at a point now where, like, dude, and, and like, I'm just waiting for McDonald's to be like, uh, tip. Yeah. If, I mean, it's it's at it's at that point. Yeah. <laughs> it's at that point now, and I'm sitting here going, like, if you're a mom and pop shop. Rather than have that on your screen, yeah. like, why don't you allow me to tip in dollars? Why does it got to be a percentage? You know why it's percentage? Because you never fucking know how many dollars it is. Yeah, exactly. Because you don't go, oh, shit, well, this is $12 plus 20% that winds right. up being this many. No. Yeah. Why do I feel like the asshole? I should be able to tip you a dollar and be like, all right, you're good. Yeah. Like, and I'm just saying, like, yeah, it, no, it's already, what it's, did you do? And some of these places are already giving you a surcharge. Like, right? I don't be a dick. Your job is put my food in a box and give it to me so I can eat it somewhere Bro, else. Didn't we talk about that too long ago? You went to a, a restaurant and they had an inflation charge. Yeah, they still do. <sighs> they still do. And they still asking for more tips. Inflation charge, man. My my knee, my immediate knee jerk response was "fuck you." Yeah, and then I had, I had to walk just raise the price. Yeah, raise the price of your food. Yeah. Well, we don't want to. We don't want to raise the prices on everybody. We want you to know that we're just screwing you. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> it was so sideways. I was like, "This is bullshit." Look, I, like I even get that more than I do tipping everybody. Like, we're at the point now, where, like if I go to a restaurant. Like I'm all for tipping, and if you give me like the breakdown of like the percentages. Like I like that because then I can I don't have to do math because I'm drunk, right? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know twenty percent is this many dollars and this many cents, and I can just put it there and be like, all right, cool, good, whatever. Or I'll put down you know a bigger tip. But if I'm there's so many places now that that that'll like hand you a screen and like I, I there's a coffee shop yeah around the corner from the office. Oh man, it starts at eighteen percent and goes to twenty five. Right, and I'm like. Wait, but so what am I like? I I gotta tip you before you make it and give no, it to me. No, here's the best part: you don't order through a person. It's a fucking kiosk. Yeah, it's a kiosk. Exactly. But hold on, I'm you. You're also forcing me to tip before I get my food or my exactly beverage. Exactly my point. Yeah. So now I gotta pre-tip you. That's, that's like Postmates too. Yeah. Like, look, I, I know that Postmates people, everybody else, but like, nothing pisses me off more than logging into fucking uber after taking an uber and it's asking uh, me for a tip for the guy yeah and they always make it really hard to click find a way to click zero yeah they, 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 and i <laughs> click zero a lot they, you dirty bastard yeah <laughs> i'm being honest it wasn't a good ride bro. it wasn't a good ride. And the worst part about it is they can rate you yeah i got a 4.83 which makes me an asshole i'm sure this is back to people wanting that social credit score that rate it's out, a social credit out. score <laughs> but now everybody knows i don't tip because i didn't tip one guy and he probably rated me low it's, I'm just, all i'm saying is is like look Build that in yeah. or, or allow me to allow me to tip like when I want to. Like, don't don't prompt me for it. I, I want to go back and be like, yo, okay. Kevin was a great driver. Let me tip Kevin. Yeah. You know, I mean, I don't get a lower fee if he's a shitty driver, do I? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I don't. That's a good so point. I'm just saying, like, you're locked into this. And look, I, I get it. Yeah, and that's I mean, now that we've established, though, that you're a world class shitty tipper. 
I'm not yeah. a world class shitty tipper. I'm a great tipper, bro. Don't <laughs> yeah, put, yeah. That, don't put that, that out there. That's what like every that. world class shitty tipper that, says. That, that's not true. No, 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 no. That's not true. I will tip the hell out of somebody for good service. But oh man, I just don't want to, like it's different. Can you imagine if after dinner, like your server came over to you and was like, "Here's your check, sir," and what would my tip be? Yeah, and just stared at you until you were like twenty five percent. Yeah, bro. You know when you order like Postmates? Yeah, you can tip in advance. Yeah. Which is fucked up. You know how much pressure is on you to get your shit right? You're like, okay, now I got to tip this guy 25% before it gets here because I don't want him to do something to my food before it gets here because he's got, he knows that I tipped him in advance. Which, how am I tipping you for service you didn't give me? Yeah, we should make it like equally awkward though. Like yeah. when it comes up on the screen, just look at the person and be like, what do you think I should do? <laughs> right? You tell me, what should yeah, I do? And I'm the asshole tipper. Yeah, yeah. And I'm the asshole tipper. I'm joking You're here. trying to torture the, people. Yeah, this is comedic relief over here. This is not comedic relief. This is a problem. This is a <laughs> national... We have we have this inflation problem, and now I got to tip everybody? Yeah, bro. On top of that? Yeah. Come on, man. I got to tip everybody? Everybody. It's not right, Hey, bro. I'm going to leave the studio today. This, How this would you not tip me? No, I'm not How would you tip me for this, this performance oh, you tonight? You want to tip? <laughs> Laser hair removal, bro. That's your tip. I get it you twice me, now. I know. It reminds me of that uh, Home Alone uh, scene where Rob Schneider brings the bags to the room and he's like, you know. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He just gives him some gum. I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Rob Schneider was in that. It was uh, Home Alone, the second one, right? Yeah, yeah. New yeah. York? Yeah. Was, was it good? With one? Uncle Donnie. Uncle Donnie. Uncle, uncle, uncle. All right. So we have... We have some Q&A. Not a whole lot of questions. Shame on all of you for not getting into it, but yeah, that's all good. We got to hand out some more... $20 bills. Hand out some $20 bills. Uh, let's see here. Uh, Xandro, 25-year-old with a regular nine-to-five. What is priority? Investing, paying down, paying off debt, or saving? Mm. That's a good question. That's a good question. Um, if it were, if, I mean, I, we really need a full picture to be able to answer, right? My answer would be to pay off some of your debt, especially if that's some of your revolving debt, right? Um, and hopefully you you have some savings to be able to tap into in case anything goes wrong. But I would aim to pay down some debt first. So to side side's point, and I hate to say that he's right, but he's right. We need to know more about the picture. But what I'll say is is cash flow should always be your primary focus. So if paying down debt in the near term will improve your cash flow, then that's what you want to do. If investing is going to make you more money than paying down your debt, then I would say you'd have to arbitrage difference. So if you're going to make an investment in something that's gonna pay you 10%, then that has to pay you more than what your debt's costing you. And generally speaking, credit cards are more expensive than that. Right. Uh, if you have debt and car payments and, and things of that nature, then that's that's amortized over a longer period of time usually. Right. But I would say- And hopefully a much lower rate. Hopefully much lower rate, but you never know. I mean, car payments are getting kind of wild these days again. Mm -hmm. uh, I would say saving is not the way to go. I would say investing or paying down debt and generally speaking, paying down your highest price debt first mm -hmm. and then keeping your longer term amortizing stuff like your car payment and everything else and, and paying those off with time because those also have the added benefit of propping up your credit score. So not do what Dave Ramsey said by paying off the smallest balance first. And yeah, that was more of a, like, that's one of those pieces of advice. Like I get where he's coming from now. I'm not, I'm not so mad at him for that kind of stuff. Like he's just trying to get the emotional behavioral economics going. Like you right. get it, you get a small win, you want to move forward. But right. Like in the beginning of, they say you want to start working out. Don't fix a diet. Just, right now, just go to the gym. Work out. Get in a consistent flow. So, so uh, yeah, I, I think that that's probably the best way to go is pay down the debt, depending on what kind of debt you have. If you have anything long-term, then, then that's uh, not something you should focus on. Question, next question is from me. Why don't you guys have any sponsors? And I don't know. 
That's a good question. Yeah, we, I know. I don't know. Why don't we have any sponsors? We're amazing. We should yeah. have sponsors. I know. Come on. If you guys know of any sponsors that are willing to hand out some cash, I mean, hook us up. Well, I'm glad you said something about that because I wanted to talk to you about that. Oh, sure. really? Yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, a gentleman, um, C5 Xander, who asked him the question about tax inflation adjustments, good for the tax year 2023. He also messaged me privately. Really? Yeah. And I'm going to read you uh, a little bit of his, of his statement here. Okay. I can find it real quick. He enjoys my rhetoric more than yours? No, 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 no. So uh, Alex... Uh, Alex, what do you know his name? Just to clarify, I submitted the question about my wife working at a med spa doing laser hair removal. Oh, God. <laughs> I don't own the place, LOL, but my wife does treat a lot of Armenian people, so I'm sure Saeed's fuzzy toes will be light work for her. Light work. I said, ha, 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 <laughs> You know I'm going to read this. He said, yeah. LOL, by all means, light him up. Light him up. Damn. What'd I do? What'd I do to Alex? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he, well, he knows. He yeah, knows, he knows. Uh, Man. He knows what's going on. Um, let's see here. I did have another question, which I haven't read until now. It seems like many people I know uh, who are hoping to get a house are doing the same thing as my wife and I as far as holding on to cash. Seems like everyone is waiting for a great buying opportunity like after the Great Recession. Yeah. You think this situation, even with high interest rates, will cause a high demand for houses causing prices to rise up again? making it as difficult as it was just a few months ago to buy a home. And aside from saving up for a bigger down payment to outbid someone else, any advice to make ourselves more attractive to the buyer? Wow, that's a good question. I mean, that's, that's definitely a concern that I had too, um, that it would be very competitive because, you know, now you're not, when the prices do come down and you've got a lot of people that have been waiting on the sidelines for a long time, right? There will be competition there. Yeah, and you also have a couple other things exasperating this problem. Like, for example, home builders now have essentially pulled back. Uh, a couple yep. banks on our market, I don't think we had to talk about this yet, but they've completely shut down their construction lending groups. Wow. And I think that's prudent on some level, uh, if, depending on your clientele base and what kind of lending you were doing. But so, yeah, now you're going to see supply. So now supply and demand, supply hasn't really crept up. Demand has just fallen below supply now. Yeah. And, and you're starting to see that as a 3.2 months is going to wind up being closer to four to six months for a balanced market. So yeah, there is going to be a, a springing back of demand and back in the market, which is going to fall on again short supply. Right. Do I think you're going to see what you saw during the last couple of years? No, because that was propped up by super, super low interest rates. Right. So I do think you're going to see much more competitive market. Mm -hmm. uh, I do think you're going to see less supply feeding into that. So certainly there's going to be an issue there, but I would say that you're going to continue to see some changes in the economy that are going to give you an opportunity to buy still. I mean, if, if San Jose is negative 10% already, right. and we don't even believe we've gotten to the hardest part of this yet. Right. I think you can expect to see some significant corrections. And then, yeah, you're, you're playing the game, but you're playing the game for a 20% less price. And then what about what can they do to potentially make themselves a little bit more competitive? So I think for that, you're going to wind up in a market where your down payment's going to matter, how much you can put down. So for, for mostly when you, when you put an offer in a home, you're going to have your pre-approval letter. Um, you're going to have proof of funds. You're going to have your purchase agreement. Yep. Uh, the faster you can move your purchase agreement, which comes to, down to your lender and their, their, their workflow, um, the better, mm -hmm. right? So if you can close in 21 days or 17 days versus, you know, a month or 45 days, it's going to make right. you a little more attractive, but really your pre-approval letter is important. Right. And they can generally assess if you got a really good market rate or not. So if your credit scores are good and you get a good rate, the, 
the realtor will say, you know, Johnny here has got a great rate and they're putting down 25 or 30 percent. So right. and they also have the your proof of funds to see like you're a strong borrower, you're qualified and that, you know, it's more likely that you will be approved and the process will be smooth. And if your proof of funds has significantly more money than the money you need to put down, it also makes you look stronger to the buyer. Exactly. Now, we I have never been a fan of waiving all the, you know, contingencies. I don't think you should. In, in, the, in the future markets, I don't, I don't think waiving contingencies, uh, your financing contingency inspection and right. your appraisal contingencies. Yeah. I don't think you should waive those at any set of circumstances in the future, at least until the market dictates that from competitive nature. And at that point in time, you'll probably lose out on a couple of properties before you have to make that change. But I wouldn't worry about that. Yep. I agree. So Alex, stud and uh, offered laser hair removal. Yeah, man. Uh, just food for thought there, Saeed. You, are, you, are you considering it all? No. What if I sponsored it? No. Nothing. <laughs> no. Still. No. The wife, the wife's happy. I'm happy. I'm good. Are you though? Good. Wearing socks all the time. <laughs> all right. Uh, some more questions around the evening. Tax inflation adjustments for tax year 2023, good or bad to fight inflation? We talked about this, I think, on the last episode, right? So it, it uh, increases the judges by 7%. Um, not a whole lot of change there for people. Um, hopefully it does help out some of the lower to moderate income uh, class. but. What people aren't considering is this could bump you up into a different tax bracket too. Yeah, I don't think it has a significant material impact on inflation per se. I think it's just one of those things where the tiers continue to be what they are. Right. And I've always had a problem with the tiered tax system on some level because it's unfortunate as you start making more and more money, as you get into the highest bracket, you have to make significantly more money to actually get a, an income benefit because your tax rate is higher. Yeah. And it, it's an unfortunate part of the reality, which is why sole uh, proprietors and entrepreneurs who can write off uh, their expenses prior to their tax basis get yes. such a benefit from owning their own companies. Right. And mind you, for the listeners that don't know, this is for the tax year 2023. For, so when you file 2024. Yeah. So you got a ways to go. Yeah. Next question. Uh, Jonathan, uh, are short-term rentals good to get into now? Mm. Yeah, that's a toughie. So I'll say uh, short-term rentals are not like true multifamily apartment housing. Mm -hmm. It's it's uh, more like hospitality, like a hotel. And like any hotel, it really comes down to the service-based nature of the business. A lot of work. Who's running it? What the amenities are? Is it clean? Does it have a good reputation? Is the brand there? And is it efficient? Right. Is it got a, does it have an amazing location? Is it next to Legoland or the beach? Is it next to you know some kind of tourist attraction? What's drawing people there? Exactly. exactly. So if you can find something that's in a desirable area or has a desirable benefit and you can operate it like a good operator and actually operate it, not, not do the calling it in using all these third-party services and, and hoping that that's going to give somebody good service. Right. Uh, I think you, you can always buy uh, now or any, at any point in time. Now, like we've talked about with single family residences for people who are buying for their home, you might want to wait until prices get a little bit better, uh, depending on what market you're in, especially if you're looking in California on the coast. I think you'll see some, some improvements there. Uh-huh. Uh, but yeah, they're, they're always good to get into just like real estate's always good to get into. Dave Ramsey did not get that one wrong, right? but you have to find uh, the right set of circumstances for you. When you're buying a home for yourself, it's about utility. When you're buying a home as an investment, like this is short-term rental, it's what's the draw. I personally like the idea of, you know, long-term tenancy more. Yeah. This is why I don't do short-term rentals. Yeah. Yeah. It's just for me, it's easy. I feel like it's a headache. All right. Dad to beef at February 23. Wow. Coming up, man. Coming Congratulations. up. Top five tips and mistakes you made as a new dad, career, financial, and personal. Top five. Wow. So I'm going to tell a story I don't think I've ever shared with anybody. 
Oh, okay. And I don't know if it feels this way for all dads, but when my son was born, you know, you, as a dad, you try to prepare yourself as mentally as you can for your kid being born. Yeah. But mommy held him for nine months inside of her. Yep. They have this connection. As a dad, I was almost embarrassed to admit that that connection wasn't there the second that he was born with me. Mm-hmm. I know. You know, you, it's very you, common. You, you love him. You, you adore him. But you grow into being a father. You're not born into it the same way a mother is. Right. Right. So for me, I, you know, I love my son. I adore him. He, I, there, I, I would kill for him. I mean, he, he, is, he is everything to me. Right. But, you know, being a father is not something you're ever prepared to do. And you have to understand as much as your wife will be pregnant for nine months. Yep. Your wife is already a mother for those nine months. Yes. And you are still her support system but you were not truly a father yet. Yeah, yeah. It's true. That, that ta- it, takes, it takes time, right? And um, for me personally, the biggest thing is, and this may sound cliche, but you got to really, really cherish each and every single moment. And I was in those moments reminding myself to cherish the moments and these damn Google photos that still pop up from time. I can't look at them. They make me depressed. But Why? They make, the time has come and gone. I'm, I know I'm never going to get it that time fleeting. back. That, that's another thing. So like, each one of those phases, like the not being able to sit up phase, the, the yeah. crawling phase, the right, the learning how to walk, those phases are so quick and so short. Right. They, they fly by in, in, in instants, moments. Right. right. And I would, I would say, give yourself, you know, create a routine, a structure for yourself to where you can still devote enough of yourself to whatever job or company or business you're trying to build, right? And stick to them hard and fast rules because... Let's say you said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave the office every day. It's five o'clock, six o'clock. And then let's say, oh, I have more work to do today. Well, then that's time you're taking away from your son or your daughter that you're never, ever going to get back. And I promise you, you will look back and regret it. Yeah. So I, I don't know that I've shared this like with anybody else, but I, um, I was training while my son well, was, my, was, my wife was pregnant. And what, after he was born, I was still training pretty aggressively. Right. I made the cognitive decision that I was going to stop going to the gym and stop working out. I wound up being almost two years. Right. So that I could leave work at four o'clock every day at the latest, be home by four, four thirty if I could. Yeah. And be with him and my wife every single day with, you know, to be there with dinner, to give my wife a break, to right. give him a bath, to, to be there. Because as a working dad, and it like tonight was one of those nights where it was really tough. You're, if, if you're, if you're lucky and your wife can, not work and she can be a stay-at-home mom which is a full-time job in and of itself they have a time to build a rapport relationship that you're not going to get because you have to go provide it's unmatched right it's unmatched so you'll get a couple minutes in the morning you'll get a couple minutes at night but it's not quite the same thing yeah so i made it a point for the first two years or so of his life to really just make him a priority coming home and i didn't care about getting fat or i didn't care about any of that stuff yeah for the first time like it's the second I, I remember this. This was the most freeing moment for me. From the second my kids were born, both of them, all the little things that used to bother me just went away. The the drama with this person or this this worry that I had over here, my entire mental focus shifted, and I no longer cared about the the little nuanced things that you know people tend to stress about on a day to day. Right? Um, for me, it was more about just uh, I want to get this done to get back home to my wife and my kids. Uh, mistakes you made. Um, hmm. I think some of my early mistakes were is, is patience is 
I, I waited to have a kid until I was older. I was damn near 40 when, when my son was born. Yeah. But even then, like the patience of being a father is a different level of patience. It's a different kind of patience. Yeah. And it took me a while to really get comfortable being super patient with my son. Yeah. It, it wasn't, it wasn't natural to me. Yeah. That takes, it definitely takes time. Right. Cause you got to remember like, they're going to react how we react now. So yeah. they're going to carry carry those things forward. Um, I, I don't know if the listeners know this. I think we occasionally mention what time it is here. But Chris and I both make sure we stay home late enough to watch our, and help put our kids down so that they don't recognize or realize that we're gone yeah. at night. That's why we're here right now. It's 11 it o'clock at night. Tough. It's yeah. 11 o'clock at night because don't, I don't want them to feel like I ever left. Yeah, I mean, and that's where it's it's tough. Like as a dad, you want to be able to do things for your family, but at the same time, doing things for your family can sometimes keep you from your family. Right. Exactly. Yeah, it's a shitty. Yeah. Uh, financial advice: I did not opt for the five twenty nine plan. I don't think Saeed did either. Right. Uh, we have individual investment accounts for our kids, and we buy on a Saeed buys consistently on a monthly basis, and I buy uh, on an annual basis. We just buy in and, and donate to that, and I figure over the next eighteen years, hopefully, if there's money is managed well, yeah, there's money there, and and uh, your kids can pick their future. Their right. Path. Exactly. I don't, so. We didn't want them to feel restricted to, you know, the 529 accounts. Yeah. Um, and then I think that's about it on that topic for me. You yep. Say? yep. Okay. All right. The next one from Hayden. Hayden in the house. Why is it so common to move between banks during a career? Can you succeed at one? Mm. Wow. Um, so I have struggled with understanding this logic for the greatest majority of my working professional career. So I have, I have been with one bank the one we started 15 years ago, my entire career. And I, I will admit the trajectory of my career has been anomalous. Not counting the early days of Wells Fargo back in the day. Yeah, right? yeah, 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 not yeah, counting yeah. some of those other gigs. But, you know, I, I started off as an underwriter here and I worked my way up. And you know, that, that's a very common thing. But what I will say is in today's world, staying at one job like that for a prolonged period of time, in my case, 15 years, yeah, it's actually not a good thing anymore. Right. Um, it's considered to be less experience or less you know exposure to different types of things right so somebody who's been job hopping every four or five years or so which traditionally was a bad thing yeah can sometimes be seen to have more corporate maturity in that they've seen different systems and yeah. more exposure to different way things can be operated i can understand themselves. that i don't really know that there's a right way or a wrong way it comes down to your own personal willingness to grow i agree so uh, one of the things i've been able to do many of the things i've been able to do so while i was while i was here i passed the bar right um, while i was here i got a general contractor's license uh, while i was here i entered a program at yale i didn't do these things because i wanted to be like an arrogant piece of shit like the reviews continue to tell people that i am uh, <laughs> i did them because i wanted to continue to improve myself to the extent that i could whether or not it, it had value to the company yeah i felt that they had value adds to what i could provide the company right and i thought personal growth and continuing to grow was important to me yeah and if the company benefits from it so be it if you're not doing those things and you've been at one company for a long time then you might want to consider changing because you should always be you should always be trying to grow right i agree so I, i've been at the same institution now for now it'll be 10 years well really yeah it'll be 10 years oh, holy shit <laughs> yeah in in november um That's and 10 years of your life and a great, great 10 years, uh, built some great bonds and had some great memories so far. Um, but the reason why I chose not to hop around is because I never felt pigeonholed, right? Um, I was constantly given the, 
it was, it, I felt like it was a privilege to be able to get exposed to more things, learn new things. You know, I started off in the compliance department. I was interested in joining the credit team, started at the bottom over there, worked my way up, and now I'm an underwriter um, in the commercial real estate department. And I never felt pigeonholed. That's why I never decided to hop around. I felt like I was given the opportunity to grow. Had I not been given that opportunity, maybe I would have looked at things differently. I, I most likely would have. But I will say it is incumbent upon you and you and I have experienced this to, you got to tell people that you work with that you have a desire to grow. I know it sounds really stupid, but yeah. recognizing when somebody is ready or has a desire to move up or wants to take on more responsibility is not so easy to do when you're a manager and you have a job to manage and to, to do things on, on your own. Right. I think a great example is at the bank, um, I have several functions there. It's not just C&I business lending. It's not just one division. There's several subdivisions. There's, you know, equipment finance, there's multifamily commercial real estate. There's, you know, there's a quick, there's a small, a small balance, SBA lending, government lending, there's municipal finance lending. That's all in one you right. know, there's exactly. cor corporate lending. That's all one division. And there's the multifamily and commercial real estate groups. And there's the single family groups. Right. Then there's a whole backend reporting thing. There's special assets, the legal side of what we do. There's lots of different groups, and I'm trying to balance all all these people and all this time on right. a daily basis, and still make everyone feel valued, and that they can reach out to me and, and solve problems. Right. So sometimes when someone wants to progress in their career, just because I haven't acknowledged or addressed you per se, doesn't mean that I don't want you to do the same for yourself. As a matter of fact, I always want someone to do that. Right. But it takes sometimes someone walking into my office telling me what they want for me to me to know it. Right. Exactly. This is, I've actually experienced this now that that bleeds over into other things in life as well. So, um, my son and my daughter are both enrolled in jujitsu and yeah, BJJ. yeah. Yeah. And, um, they really seek out the approval of, you know, the head coach. Right. And, um, sensei. Yeah. Yeah. And he, um, walks around and he, he watches people and sometimes they raise their hands and they're trying to ask questions and he won't call on them and they just really want to earn their second stripe. Right. And I said, Hey buddy, it's okay. And, and I asked my, tell my daughter as well, listen, guys, if you feel like you're not being noticed after class, we'll talk to him, ask him some more questions, let him see that you are interested in learning. Cause let me tell you something. If he sees your, he chose this profession for a reason, right? He wants to teach people. Okay. And if he sees you're interested, he will pay more attention to you moving forward. It's communication, man. It's, it's communication. communication. And I think, that's where a lot of people get stuck in their jobs at some of these larger companies. They don't communicate. Yeah. If you don't communicate and you're not constantly engaged, and that's what the work from home thing can become fucking problematic. Yeah. How do you communicate and stay engaged and in front of somebody when yeah. you're never in front of somebody? Yeah. Yeah. That makes it really difficult. Yeah. It, it's, it's been, I, we went to lunch the other day and I got to be honest, that was the first time I met two of our employees, three of our employees. Yeah. Me too. And I was like, uh, Hey, What's up? And that, yeah. like, I, I feel bad for them. There was a period of time where I knew fucking everybody, man. I know. And I felt bad, too, because I wanted to sit next to them and talk to them, too. But there was also other people there that I had to have conversations with that were on the other side of the table. So it's oh, like, yeah. anyways. Um, I've been in elevators with people going to work. Right. And they get off on our floor, and I'm like, fuck, they work here? Yeah. And like, what? This is actually funny. So you're right. This all boils down to communication. And it, that bleeds over into every aspect of life. I dropped my kids off. I'll keep the story story short because we're already at the hour and a half mark. 
Saeed's taught me to look at my watch. Yeah. <laughs> um, I drop my kids off at a daycare every single day, right? And I'm not, I don't have the luxury of having a daycare where they got cameras where I can log in and check on my kids whenever I want, right? But it's still a really good daycare. It's a Montessori. And um, I, I remember at the end of the day, each class had like 24 students or so. Um, and I would go and ask the teacher, oh, how did my son and daughter do today? And, you know, that's a tough question to ask a teacher that was paying attention to 24 students. Mm, I knew I, I knew they didn't have the answer. But guess what? I, I wanted them to know that I'm a parent that cares. Right. And they would tell me, like, a lot of parents don't ask this. And then the next day I came, I asked the same question. And maybe they didn't remember. But now the third day I asked again. Guess what she's going to do all day long? I'm going to pay attention to that kid. I want that kid. I want to have an answer for that dad later today. Because I hate that guy. No, but you got to, and you have to be sincere and nice about it. Don't be like an asshole about it. But like, I'm hey, out, yeah, yeah. How did my son, how did my son and my daughter do today? Oh, they were great. They ate all the food. They did all the work. They took a nap. All this. So, um, it's, it all boils down to communication. Well, that is officially the end of the Q and A section. Yeah. Oh man, your your eyes are gone. I'm tired, bro. I'm I'm exhausted. So with that, we will end the show before Saeed has an opportunity to take a pot shot across the bow at me. <laughs> <laughs> Chris, you look old as shit. Go ahead and say it. You look good, great, man. You look great. You look like you lose weight. That's good. Uh, it's, it's not because I'm eating better. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a hard work being fat, man. <laughs> yeah. It's, <laughs> it's, a, a, it's a lot of work. It takes a lot of work to look this pretty. <laughs> I've been slacking, bro. Yeah. <laughs> so I appreciate everybody listening. If you haven't left a review, leave that review. Otherwise, we will find you and they <laughs> will make you leave that review. Thank you, everybody. Catch you next time. I hope you enjoyed today's conversation on the Higher Standard Podcast. Make sure to hit subscribe or follow on whatever platform you are listening to this on. If you like this episode, please write a review and share it with us. You're getting the show up and running right now, so every message, every review, and every note counts. This show exists to showcase what's possible when leaders decide to uphold a higher standard for their businesses, their investments, their families, and most importantly, themselves. If you want to see more of my content, I post daily on Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. So be sure to follow me on your favorite social media platform. And with that, it is a wrap. And as always, I look forward to hanging with you all on the next episode.